How are you? Sorry, listeners, for if I don't make much sense this morning. I will do my best. I, I, I tell you what, basically what we're going to have to do is you're going to have to have 70% possession. I'll just park the bus and uh, try and hit one on the counter-attack. Yeah, Arsene Wenger was uh, asked a journalist uh, at Wembley uh, after the Cup semi-final, what was the score at Stamford Bridge? And uh, the reply was 1-0 to Chelsea. He said, the usual then. So, uh, <laughs> you're not making much sense. It's the usual then. Oh, cruel. <laughs> Banter. Early morning banter. Yeah. So what what do you make of this? Because there's, there's, there's kind of two schools of thought. One is that United completely dominated that match uh, at 70-odd percent possession, 15 shots, um, and Chelsea just parked the bus at home to champions-elect. And how sad it is that the champions-elect feel the need to do that or, or how positive it is for United that we're, we're now that good. That's one school of thought. The other school of thought is I'm struggling to remember a time that Courtois really had to make a difficult save and for all that possession it just wasn't that effective where are you on this one I I think as is almost always the truth lies somewhere in between because from my perspective the very good news about that game was that the system clearly works and that players can clearly play the system and the bad news about that game is if you take certain key pieces out of that system then it's going to be considerably less effective because basically if someone had been playing where Rooney was and Rooney had been playing where Falcao was I can't imagine it would have been quite as ineffective as it was yeah someone being Michael Carrick and so I mean a key cog right massive difference if Rooney had been up front with just a little bit more movement than Falcao offered and and Carrick aside the base although I thought Herrera was very good until he got clattered by uh, Didier Drogba but surely he's the key missing piece, Carrick, in that. Uh, yes, although I think if Blint had been fit, um, I know you consider him a very significant downgrade on, on Carrick, but I think if Blint had been fit to play that role, uh, that would also have been a lot better than what happened. I think it was that, that, that Carrick is injured is bad, that both of them are injured is something of a disaster, really. Yeah, it, it was for United. And, and in a way, um, United are extremely unlucky that injuries came in the same positions right so Van Hal was bemoaning the fact that Evans is suspended and Rocco and, and Jones are out so you know three central defenders missing there and then two defensive midfielders and that caused the change in the end Van Hal didn't change too much and uh, he dropped Rooney back into midfield and brought Falcao in up front and it's pretty much the team I would have thought except for I would have had Di Maria in the side, uh, but you know, in a kind of bursty fashion because he's the, the guy that's more likely to create chances and, and Rooney up front. But would that have made a difference? I, I don't know. Maybe not, given how camped Chelsea were in their own defence yesterday. But but it also shows the, another thing that United's, United do need to spend some money this summer. You know, it's just that tiny little difference. And we can kind of bemoan the fact that Chelsea parked the bus at home but, you know, in hindsight, although we didn't predict it last week, it was kind of obvious Chelsea just need to not lose these games against United and Arsenal. And what does Mourinho do when he needs to not lose? He parks the bus. Um, so there's just that tiny little bit of difference. So if United had another top quality central defender or a more aggressive midfielder or, you know, a winger that could actually make a real difference, then maybe that would have made the difference yesterday. You know, people are slating Mourinho for it, but if I was a Chelsea fan, I would be perfectly content with that performance because, you know, he earned that performance across the course of a season. That game was really simple for Mourinho. Losing it would have been quite bad. Drawing it or winning it is very good. 
you know, th- th- this is not a game that Chelsea had to win by any stretch of the imagination, but it's a game that they could really have done without losing. And I, I think he also he exploited United's weaknesses quite effectively because there there's there was always going to be a weakness in cohesion in terms of attacking cohesion. So defending really deep magnified that, and and they were always going to be vulnerable on the counter attack. Mm. So, a, a word on central defenders, though. I, I don't think we really suffered for our lack of senior central defender in that game. Paddy McNair, again, excellent. Yeah, he was. He looks like a very composed player, although perhaps it would have made the difference in that one moment. Who knows? Not, not that I'm saying he was at fault for the goal at all. The, the, the other thing, and I think the more crucial thing, is that United's attack broke down and... You know, one one kind of barometer of how United played is is Rooney's kind of role in the team. So he played in a, a basically Herrera's role, and Herrera played deep. Is the essentially the formation I was I was asking for beforehand. I thought Herrera has the game intelligence playing that deeper role. It's certainly not his best position, but he's very very smart with and off the ball. So you, you kind of feel he could definitely do that better than Rooney could. But Rooney playing this more advanced midfield role, but the ball went sideways from him all the time, and we were we were joking beforehand that uh, we'd see a bunch of Hollywood balls from left to right, which here he's wont to do, but he didn't do that. He actually used possession very, very well, Rooney, um, just not in a penetrative fashion. And and much of that can be put down to the, the lack of movement up front, I guess. You know, you look at Rooney's pass map and he's only played two out of 80 passes into the area and they're all going sideways. Um, and some of that might have been instruction, some of it might have been for whatever reason Rooney was feeling conservative on the day, but I suspect a lot of it was the fact that he just didn't have anyone up front who was making the runs that he could find. Yeah, there, there was no space and... There was no space anyway, and then it was Falcao on top of that. Because, you know, <laughs> we, we kind of have... People are very bad about understanding this, but we have what I would describe as a running gag about having a pop at Rooney every game on this podcast. But there's nothing funny about Falcao's performance, um, or performances. And, uh, you know, I was prepared to give him a chance a long way into the season, longer than other people, because just of the sheer ridiculous excitement that came with his arrival in the first place because of how incredibly good he was for his first five seasons in Europe. Uh, But it's just been a complete disaster and we would have been much better off with Rooney up front and Di Maria in Rooney's position, I think, yesterday because Falcao was just completely, totally and utterly ineffective. Yeah, he was. um, Had that one shot that clipped the outside of the post, but, but the worst part, was not his shooting it was which was all wayward I think he had four shots all off target it was just his lack of movement I think there's just that five percent that's gone unfortunately and uh, he's had a year to find his fitness and I think you know Van Hal's very harsh on players who don't have fitness so it's not a lack of fitness it might be a lack of sharpness of course because he's not played very much recently but I think he's just lost that little bit with the injury and it's a real real shame but for an explosive player like him that's real that's the difference between being a great and and being something average and he'll find a club but it's not going to be United Um, and I think it did cost United yesterday and and for whatever reason Van Hal doesn't quite trust Di Marie at the moment but I wonder whether his direct running and ability to create a chance out of nothing which is what he does as as sort of poor as as he has been for much of the season, his numbers show that he does create goals, and I wonder whether that would have made a difference in this kind of you know packed Chelsea defence. And in the end, Di Maria came on quite late, and I wonder whether that change could have been made at half time. 
Yeah, I, I think it, it certainly could have. And even when he did come on quite late, we did look better, didn't we? We looked more dangerous once he was on. He looked quite purposeful and quite confident. And I think he's going to be quite important to us. And there's lots of lots of spin coming out that he's definitely staying for the season ahead. Um, so that's quite good news, I think, because I think next season, Di Maria's story is going to be quite different to what it's been this season. There's nothing in Di Maria's performances this season that, that say that he's gone as a player, right? This is not this is not an equivalent to Falcao, and I think there's very different reasons why Di Maria hasn't been performing. Some of it seems motivational, uh, for whatever reason, I don't know, maybe it's settling, maybe it's just a, a he didn't want to leave Madrid, he's moving to a a, a very different city with a very different vibe and a different lifestyle and his house is robbed and all of that, you know, and maybe that's contributing to his his lack of performances. And, and there's another piece in there which appears to be that Van Hal doesn't trust him in the system uh, for whatever reason. But there's nothing that says that this is structural and fundamental and he couldn't have a great season next season. I still think he is one of the world's great attacking players. Yes, I, I agree with every word of that, and and I my suspicion is that the off-field stuff has been absolutely huge. I was reading some stuff on Di Maria, and if you look at his performance metric, the the whole game where he went off injured was the beginning of a complete collapse of form, and his form kind of never recovered apart from a couple of patches um, after that. So it was, I think, between that injury and then the kind of litany of off-field stuff that went on. This is what what did for him this season, um, and as you say, that not wanting to leave Madrid is a is a big factor too. It, to go back to the Chelsea game for a second, this is. I just want to make this very clear, everybody, just in case anyone wants to get the wrong end of the stick here. What I'm about to say is not meant as Rooney bashing, because I know people are going to maybe see it like that. A bit delicate about this subject this week after the relentless barrage of uh, stuff. But the one one of the things that we lost in the um, the shuffling of the pack was the link-up play between Herrera and Mata because if you look at Rooney's positional discipline it's nowhere near what Herrera's has been playing that kind of attacking midfield brackets right you know Herrera and Fellaini have been playing as inside rights and inside lefts in the last few weeks and Rooney was much more central much more inclined to drift in Mata didn't have kind of three passes to choose from every time he had the ball in the way that he has done in recent weeks and that's not Rooney bashing because there's no way you could expect him to play the role that Herrera has been kind of relentlessly coached into. Don't be defensive about it I think I think people are unable to um, have a nuanced argument about Rooney so so Rooney's problem and and this is why I thought sorry Gaz I thought Gary Neville was completely wrong in his analysis on on uh, Monday Night Football because this is not Rooney being tactically disciplined he wasn't tactically disciplined um the week before his the pattern of his movement and his touches has been exactly the same over the past five games when he's been playing in a, a number nine role for United and he drifts all over the place this is just Rooney you know he is not disciplined as a player and um, yesterday against Chelsea he, he had loads and loads of the ball and he used it you know very neatly right that's the praise the criticism is that within the system he wasn't able in the way that Herrera has been to bring out the best in in matter there are other things there of course you know Matic in central midfield and the gates he was very very effective at covering that right hand side and and supporting his his defensive colleagues uh, he's an outstanding defensive central midfielder Matic uh, and that that limited Matter's ability to get into the game and 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 also you know Chelsea were just like picked out 
certain players to negate. They did exactly the same with Fellaini. Kurt Zuma did a very good job on Fellaini. Fellaini's not a player who is mobile enough to get away from that kind of man-to-man marking. And he was ineffective, which meant Young was ineffective too, right? So so some of it is criticism of Rooney in that he's not able to play the role that, that Herrera had been playing. That's just an observation. And some of it is Chelsea were just very smart about how they negated United's major strengths in that game. Yeah, absolutely. Plus, you know, Rooney eats small children, sets fire to small animals, and he's probably under investigation by Operation Utree. And he's a fat, scouse bastard. It's hard to follow that. I'd like to distance myself from all of those comments, especially the one about his physique. I remember when you used to defend him against that accusation, Ed, back in the bygone era. He's not actually fat, you know, he's, he's just big boned. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think that the, the one thing that is worth saying about Rooney in, in a pure positive from my perspective is that one, the one thing he's done very well is captain the side. And, and I'm really shocked by that. And I remember us having a chat about this a long time ago when, when he just put a few kind of composed captaincy performances in, in a row. And, um, you know, you were saying, Hey, let's reserve judgment for a bit. And I think there are a number of factors as to why he's been successful. And I think the main one is that it's a very new squad and that the players that have come in, uh, there's a, you know, there's a very different feel to that dressing room now than there would have been even last season. Um, And he's very respected, isn't he? In, in around Europe and all that kind of stuff, there's a different perspective on Rooney and, and he's, he's kind of played into that very well. And I think he's, he's done a very good job. You see him talking to the referee and he keeps his calm most of the time, but he is also putting United's case forward all the time. And uh, he's quite good at getting players to step away from the ref when, and to get, you know, to calm them down and avoid bookings and all that stuff. And, and apparently all the off field stuff, the, the motivational speeches have been effective and, and a appreciated by his teammates so I think that's quite he's worthy of praise on that regard because we're pretty quick to kick him when he gives the ball away yep yep um he seems to have grown into the role I mean the early season performances where he was screaming at players I I just don't think that is the type of captaincy United need at the moment I don't think it's a lack of motivation or that the, the kind of British bulldog spirit is is what United need out of a captain but he's we don't see that anymore and he seems very calm and uh, he was quite funny in his post-match interview actually when he was asked about some of the incidents he uh, gave a politician's answer and said that Chelsea were very good at influencing the referee and uh, they should be very pleased about how they managed to do that <laughs> uh, which was true of course you know Mourinho side are always absolutely masters about chipping at the referee all the time and really does a bit of that too you know I think he's grown into the role I, I have no real criticism of him as a captain um, I think I think that role is overplayed in in uh, British football anyway often the captain in European size is just the most senior player it's Van Gaal that thinks it's important yeah he does and he's talked about it being the player who can translate his tactics onto the pitch which is not always what Rooney does, of course, you know, if we want to come full circle on that, that conversation. If you want to end it on a criticism of Rooney. <laughs> or, or an observation, whichever way you want to see it. Of course. Talking of referees, I mean, we don't tend to dissect. There's plenty of coverage of football which relentlessly dissects every refereeing decision, but two big ones in that game. Foul on Falcao in the lead-up to Chelsea's goal and, and Herrera getting a yellow card for diving. I think he got one of those right and one of those wrong. I think it was a foul on Falcao. I think that's 
there's much to debate there, is there? I think there's no debate at all about that. In real time, it's clearly a foul. In a replay, it's clearly a foul. Later, because I'm some kind of masochist, I then watched the game again on Match of the Day and, and uh, Robbie Savage appeared to be the only person in the country, bar Mourinho, who didn't think it was a foul, which uh, had me throwing things at the TV. I don't know why I bothered. Clearly a foul. And Herrera, he's just tried to he's tried to buy the foul. But uh, millions of players have done that over the years and got the decision. So we, we can talk about the, that being a brave decision. But the next time a player goes over someone's legs, I hope everyone's also saying that definitely wasn't a, a foul because we can wipe out Gary Lineker's two penalties against Cameroon in 1986. Every penalty Michael Owen has ever won. And Rooney's penalty uh, that he won against Arsenal uh, to end their 49 game unbeaten streak and a whole bunch of others. Just to avoid all the tweets, Gary Lineker's penalties against Cameroon in 1990. Was it 1990? Well, there you go. Well, I'm getting old, so I'm uh, forgetting. <laughs> yes. 86 was Paraguay and then Argentina. Yeah, that, that, that's very true. Yeah, that tells you how old I am when my football references date back to the 80s and 90s. So. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Although that one was four years more contemporary than you thought it was. So, all in all, I, I was really heartened by that performance against Chelsea. It was a bit frustrating that we didn't make any kind of breakthrough. And, and yet, it, it, it illustrates that there are a few players that the squad just can't do without. Um, but all in all, I think it's a, a kind of... It's a proof of the effectiveness of Van Gaal's system, really. That that they're that we're able to go to Stamford Bridge and force Chelsea into that kind of reactive position. And all I kept thinking was, we'll see you next year. It's going to be a very different scenario when, well, I mean, of course, we don't have any idea whenabouts in the season it'll be, but I would imagine that that's going to be the two teams competing for the title next season, uh, unless Klopp somehow does rock up at Manchester City. We should talk about that one. Yeah, in a little bit. So, so next season, uh, you know, what does it mean for United? United are clearly going to be a lot closer than they are now. They're eleven points behind Chelsea now, which feels like a lot, but it's probably fair over the season. Chelsea are completely and utterly consistent, and United haven't been at least in the early part of the season. So, I think I think that's fair enough. I, I think United will be a lot, lot closer and uh, get the summer right. It doesn't need to be spectacular, you see, this summer. I mean, depends what happens with Falcao, but well, he's off, right? So United may well need another striker, but it could probably be a younger one if Van Persie's not off. And then, then filling those positions that we've already, already talked about last week, you know, right back, centre back, defensive midfielder and a winger. And that feels like a lot of purchases, but a similar number of players are going to go. And then you've actually got a squad that will be very, very close to challenging for the title next season not that far away and um you're absolutely right all that criticism of van hull and the style and stuff can go out the window now because he's found a system that works he's sticking to it each week which he wasn't you know it's so frustrating for weeks on end a different system every week um the criticism now is that he took too long to find that uh, not quite sure why that he took so long i mean injuries played part of it but also I think some indecisiveness there. Uh, but he's found it. It's it's working. It's good. United are very slick on the ball. Just need that extra couple of percent. And uh, I think we can look forward to a very positive season next year. Yeah, I think it's probably just about time to lift our transfer talk embargo, isn't it? Given it's sort of the second half of April and we've only got a couple more podcasts left really before the end of the season. And this week, lots of very definitive discussion from journalists uh, about Nathaniel Klein as a sort of done deal. And the general gist being that Hummels, Depay and Klein are 
are in the bag for United. Um, whether this is just one person saying it and it getting repeated confidently around the place, I have no idea. But uh, what would you make of that if that was our entire summer? If that was the entire summer, I think it would be just a little bit short and would be at the risk of, of you know, certainly in central midfield, of, of not being able to compete if, if a similar situation occurs. Again, so, you know, Michael Carrot is going to be another year older he does get some injuries. Sometimes he starts the season slow. Do we trust Daily Blint to play in there against world-class opposition in the Champions League? Hmm, you know, maybe or maybe not. Um, so I think that would be a little bit short. But let's talk about the players. Hummels, uh, I think, is Europe's outstanding central defender, at least in the, the top three or so. So I think he would be an excellent purchase. Maybe harsh on players who've done well this season. So Rocco and Smalling in particular have been very good. Jones, not quite as good, uh, although not far off. Evans terrible, but but it does mean that that two of Smalling, Rocco and Jones won't be playing each week. Um, mm. Harsh on them, but but their their fitness record. You know, Jones injured yesterday. Um, uh, Van Hal said he injured himself, <laughs> which I thought was a very funny way of putting it. But uh, but you know, probably not far from the truth. So so I think United do need that central defender as harsh as it is on them. Clearly need a right back. It's such a shame. I I think in a way that Raphael is. Is uh, has so much to offer. I mean, he had, does have his faults, but do you know what? You know, it, people who observe Southampton every week will say Klein has his faults. So Raphael is at his best is is I don't think a downgrade on Klein. So United are going to spend what the best part of twenty million pounds on a right back. It doesn't feel like much of an upgrade, although it's an upgrade from Tony Valencia, of course. So, you know, fair enough on that one. Depay, very exciting player. Um, as I said last week, I haven't seen much of him this season. Uh, everyone says he's had an awesome season um, in Holland uh, and he's matured from sort of two years ago at the World Cup. So that that's certainly filling in one of the positions. And then the one that we're missing is, I think, central midfield. And then, you know, maybe a striker, just depending on the system. I suppose if we're playing one up front, it's, it's not as, as needed. And maybe Van Gaal trusts Wilson more than uh, more than we think he does. Yeah, I I think the Klein thing is interesting. This is this is my prediction, which is not meant to be a dig at Klein by any means. But my prediction is that if we sign Klein, Valencia is going to play a lot of games next season at right back because to me, like it's pretty clear that Van Gaal quite likes the way Valencia plays because he's so cautious in possession that like he just never loses the ball because he doesn't he doesn't lose the ball enough if you know what I mean, <laughs> old Tony V. And his defensive positioning has improved throughout the course of the season. So, yes, a lot of money to spend on a player who, as you say, isn't necessarily a huge upgrade on Raphael. I think the key problem with Raphael is is fitness, isn't it? It's like whenever he's playing well, he gets an injury. So this is this is why you kind of need to upgrade Raphael, even though I, I, I love Raphael, obviously. Hummels, I mean, what do you make of the fact that he's had a bit of a mixed season this season and a few injury problems of his own? He's well, he's always had some injury problems, so I'd I'd say that's um, a consistent theme through his career that he's had he's had injury problems. I mean, you know, not super serious ones all the time, right? So, not talking about an Owen Hargreaves situation here. Um, inconsistent, yeah. Well, the whole of BVB has been inconsistent. You know, had a horrendous start to the season and picked up over the, the the second or latter part of the season, and they'll finish about mid-table probably, just outside the European places, and and that team's obviously going to break up now. So yes, he's had an inconsistent season, but I think just the quality is is tremendous. He's fantastic on the ball. 
His positioning is is absolutely brilliant. He's a very sound defender, very very sound defender. Um, and the the thing, the only problem is he's not super quick, but he's not slow by any means. I've seen some commentary, especially during the World Cup, that um, from the BBC team that um, tried to make him out as being slow, and that's definitely not true. He's not slow, but he's not super quick. But his reading of the game is so good that it doesn't matter too much. So I think he'll be a fine fine signing for United, and you know, in the way that you're predicting that. Nathaniel Klein might not be a star turn in the United side. I think Hummels will turn out to be. Brilliant. And while we're talking about Hummels, I guess this is as good a time as any to talk about old Kloppo. He got his timing wrong by a year, didn't he? He certainly did. Oh, God, wouldn't you have loved him? Oh, look, I, you know, I'm a massive fan of Van Hal. I think he's there's a lot to like about him. He's He's grown into the role or his team has grown into the season and I think he'll be a huge success at United but he's you know it's short term right he's going to be here for three years um and then he'll be retiring off to his his uh his beach hut somewhere and you know well-earned retirement Klopp would have been a, a long-term option and great fun and he produces really exciting sides so in there's just a just a hint of disappointment I suppose that he's got it a year wrong not that you know I'd want to swap them out or anything like that you know, Kl- oh, Klopp no. will be a fine manager somewhere else and United have got their own very fine manager but if it had been slightly different and if he had taken the role last summer that would have been fun wouldn't it yeah it really would I really like Klopp um but this is I, I just find the way that he set that team up you know this season's been a disaster but in fairness to him and them the way that club has had to kind of have all its best players leave him every season you know what every season one of his best players leaves or two of his best player leaves and mostly they go to their nearest rival so uh, this has got to be tough to take but the kind of the the couple of seasons where they beat Munich to the league title and then they got to the final of that Champions League and they were so close and even then that was I think that was after Goetze had left right Goetze was playing for Munich by that time have I got my dates wrong but but it was certainly after the uh, the very very top Dortmund side had kind of I think it was probably the season before that Dortmund had peaked right so it was it was slightly after the prime but he still managed to give him a heck of a game and uh, that that semi final of the Champions League that season was just extraordinary an extraordinary performance one of the best I've ever seen so yeah I think whoever gets Klopp is going to be pretty lucky to have him do you think he's coming to the Premier League is that would you would that be your guess that would be logical I suppose I mean you know all all sensible reports say that he turned down Barcelona last year and um that may or may not be true but it, it seems like it probably is and why would he take a step down from that in Spain I think he'll probably come to to England but it depends what the opportunities are because it there's likely to be an opening at Manchester City but it doesn't feel like a good cultural fit it, it is he prepared to sign up for the short termism there knowing that if he doesn't win the title he's out of a job basically well certainly if he doesn't win the title in the the first two seasons so which of course he got a very good chance of doing at Manchester City but doesn't seem to fit with seven years at Mainz and seven years at Borussia Dortmund trying to build a side with young players. But maybe, you know, maybe he's he'll uh, he'll enjoy that change and enjoy the checkbook. It would seem a good cultural fit at Arsenal, but uh, Arsene Wenger doesn't appear to be retiring just yet. The thing about City is I, I, I kind of, I was thinking about this and, and obviously instinctively I think well, everyone thinks exactly what you think, right? That that's not a good fit 
for Klopp, but I just had this vision of them sitting him down and selling it to him as a as a project that things are going to be different at City. Now, I, I don't actually believe that that would then come to pass, but they have made this enormous investment in youth development and they are kind of struggling with FFP. So you could kind of see them make a cultural shift, especially given that the cycle of their current team has come to an end. Mm. Uh, in a less than successful fashion. Well, yeah. But, you know, I, I've heard this argument before about City's investment in youth development. And they've got this fantastic complex in, in central Manchester now. And, uh, and it's very visible and they'll win a lot of local fans through that. And their community outreach is excellent. Um, and they're ploughing loads of money into coaching and, and all of that kind of stuff. But they're so short-termist in terms of what they demand from their manager that that none of those young players ever get a game, right? Just never. And they never will because the next manager is going to be in exactly the same position. You fire Pellegrini, one of Europe's top coaches and a, and a thoroughly nice bloke as well and all of that because he's he, he didn't manage to retain the title, then then you know exactly where you are. The, the, the next coach is going to have the exact same thing. Are you suddenly going to go, no, no, we're about, we're about long-term development now? Just, just, just not with that coach who's one of Europe's top coaches. So we're going to bring another top coach and, and now we're about long-term development. Um, so I don't buy it. And uh, so I, don't, I think the fruits of, of that complex in Manchester are, are going to be a fantastic PR exercise um, and actually probably profitable as well because they'll be able to sell all those young players on. I think very, very few to none will get a chance next season. Um, and so if Klopp comes into that environment, he needs to deliver immediate results. It's not about building long-term. It's a completely different cultural environment to Brazil. Yeah, maybe he wants to sign up for it. Maybe not. Maybe he'll just take a year off, um, and City will appoint someone else, and then and then uh, maybe Arsene Wenger retires, and in 2017, Klopp's in a, a, the Emirates. Good bet for you. Wonder what odds you can get on that. Two seasons off. Two seasons off. Have two seasons off, Kloppo. Then he could take over from Van Gaal at the end of his three years. That's what I was saying. We got you. Uh, thanks. <laughs> okay, so before we do a little preview of the Everton game, how about some questions from the listeners? All righty, what have they got to say this week? No good, I imagine. Um, at Brad Brad 88 says, where can I buy a camel TV like RVPs? It's a very good question. It was a remarkable thing. I liked how he shared that picture, apparently completely unaware that it was unusual to have a camel TV in your house. That's the bubble of football for you. <laughs> it is. How sad are you about Falcao? asks at Eddie Rose 13. I am very sad about Falcao. I, I, it's like a beautiful dream that happened and then didn't happen. Uh, I could not believe it when we signed him. Spent ages just watching compilations of his Atletico career. Genuinely one of the finest strikers to ever play the game, Falcao. And we've ended up with the kind of slightly crocked version of him. It, it is very sad. But then uh, at Bearded Genius on Twitter uh, shared a picture of his lunchbox. That was uh, that he was late on that. Nos was a few days late on that. That had been going around. It had been, but wow. It, my sympathy levels dropped somewhat. A friend of the rank cast, Tatiana, put on Facebook, I've learned three things from this photo. One, Falco has the same fo- phone as me. Two, he rocks the pink shoes. Three, I'm going to let you figure out the third one. To which I replied, oh, didn't you know he was sponsored by Puma? Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, he gets paid a lot of money, but none of that matters because really in life, what matters is kind of, you know, emotional fulfilment. And uh, uh, I thought you were going to say having a massive cock for a second then. <laughs> um, at Von Stregino, talking of geniuses from Twitter, 
says, when you have nearly 70% ball possession, do you think you can do that with long balls? <laughs> uh, no, yes, they a, a lot fewer long balls than, than the previous week and then Chelsea. Yeah, Von Schengenio, who's made a literal career out of Angar saying long balls. How happy us underscore Taylor Ben that we how happy are you that we didn't get Jose? Yeah, recurring theme this one, isn't it? So uh, in a way, very happy because God, he's an awful manager to to watch, isn't he? He's embarrassing and he'd be watching our manager from behind uh, our fingers or the sofa. Um, uh, He's uh, just preening cock after yesterday's game. Um, I suppose, you know, you're allowed to be when you win, aren't you? And the tactics and the boring football and all of that, all the same arguments. So, you know, in, in a way, happy that we haven't got any of that and any of the cringeworthiness. And we've got a different kind of cringeworthiness in, in Van Hull after his interview with the BBC yesterday. <laughs> but, you know, the man's a winner. He, he's he's 10 years younger than Van Hull and has more trophies. Uh, and he's going to continue piling up trophies because he knows how to, to win games and, and titles and leagues. And he's going to do that this season. And I'm sure they'll have a shot at the European Cup next year. Uh, and, and so... You know, it's mind-numbingly dumb of the United board to have picked Moyes over Mourinho when they had the choice. And I know people don't like it when you say this, but are you telling me that Ferguson wouldn't have put the performance in that that, uh, Mourinho did yesterday? Maybe not quite to the same extent, but 80% of the way there in terms of kind of bus parking and happy to win 1-0 in that yeah. game, given the the league system, the situation. In yeah, the late stage Ferguson was would definitely have done that. At Freshman United says, who will be our player of the year when we win the league next season? Angel Di Maria, that's my guess. Well, it's a good shout, yeah. I mean, that's just pure guesswork, isn't it? Yeah, uh, It's not going to be David De Gea, if you believe reports this week. Oh, no, is he off again? I thought it would all settle down and he was staying for a year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so Ancelotti uh, said this week that, uh, no, our keeper is uh, Casillas and uh, I'm happy to stick with him. And then he ruined that by, in the same sentence, saying, and we have three the three best keepers in the world here uh, at Real Madrid, which are, of course, are Kayla Navas and uh, the youth team keeper. So, hmm. <laughs> At Tom underscore McGee says, who will be our player of the year in the year 25-25 if Mankind is still alive? Ryan Giggs, obviously. Uh, I can't say this person's uh, at name on the rank cast, but his name is Dave Smith. Says, if United were the Spice Girls, who would be scary, sporty, baby, ginger and posh? I reckon, I've thought about this, I reckon it's Fellaini. Giggs for sporty. Uh, Baby is Herrera. Ginger, I think we have to go back and, and... get skulls to play that role because it's the role he was born to play and daily blint's got the cheekbones for posh well look of all the things that we've said about daily blint comparing him to the talentless vacant thing that is posh spice is is pretty mean even i wouldn't go that far i've never said anything bad about daily blint that is 100 percent you he, he just compared him to posh spice only his cheekbones that's the worst thing you could possibly say wow ah uh, at Man United NSW says, how can Juan Mata have a ki- any kind of friendship with John Terry? It makes no sense. He's a nice man, Juan Mata. Yes, John Terry isn't. Yes, it mm. makes how anyone can have a friendship or even tolerate John Terry. How, how does Don- John Terry exist? Why is he still a thing? At Mickers, um, on a similar note, says, is Juan Mata the most loved player in the Premier League? It was very nice to see Chelsea fans giving Mata the ovation they gave him uh, as he went off the pitch. Clear that there's no bad blood there. And pretty unsurprising, really, because he was very respectful all the way through the, uh, the departure and he was pretty respectful 
all the way through the build-up to this game, but also kind of very clearly up for it and committed to United's cause. Play, played that very diplomatically, I thought. Yes, I, I don't know whether he's the most loved player in the Premier League, but he's not far off it, and he's just a nice man, isn't he? And he was twice player of the year at Chelsea. So uh, I was glad to I was glad to hear that because you know honestly I wasn't quite sure what reaction they'd get because football fans are pretty fickle and mm-hmm. boneheaded and fickle and boneheaded and plasticness uh, are the you know the epitome uh, of Chelsea fans so um but they were pretty good about it. Yeah, absolutely. At Tomzor says, was that Shaw's best performance for United? Mm, he was very good. Yeah, we didn't pick him out early. He was very, very good. And that's that's the good side of Shaw when he's fit and bursting past players. He's not as good on the ball as David Blint, is he? Just just doesn't have that kind of silkiness to his passing, but he's more explosive. He's quicker and he can. he's certainly going to create more chances. I was super impressed by his decision-making with the ball in the final third, which is not something I've necessarily been impressed by uh, so far. And I I wonder whether this, again, is the kind of um, the coaching methods getting through to him and it just taking a while because it's not a natural fit. But yeah, I I thought he repeatedly picked out the right pass when he had the ball by the byline or in the box or whatever. I was, yeah, an all-round, a very impressive performance from Shaw in an attacking capacity he didn't really have to do much defensively did he uh, yeah no very very true although you know he was up against a, a high quality player or, or albeit one who's not had a wonderful season in oscar sort of down the right hand side of chelsea's attack ish if you can call it that but i thought he was he was um he was very good yesterday and that bodes well i just hope he can keep himself fit you know there was an article think in the daily mail just before the game basically you know basically saying where has it all gone wrong for him and basically pretty much saying he's finished i mean you know it's it's newspapers right so uh, you have to swing to one end of the spectrum hyperbole sales and uh, a kind of he's done all right but it, there's more to come it doesn't isn't a great headline so uh, he's done all right and there's more to come it is my headline and i, I think uh, he'll be a very good acquisition for united uh, just gotta stay fit yeah absolutely so one of the things we'd like him fit for is the game against Everton, which is a much tougher proposition than it would have been a little while ago. Everton on their best run of form of the season by miles. Got some players who can do some damage. I suspect they won't park the bus. And this is going to be a possession war, isn't it? Who's going to get to keep the ball? Both teams definitely want to do that. Yeah, well, that's just the way the Everton play. I mean, they had 60-odd percent possession against Burnley yesterday um, in another win. And uh, we're facing them at the wrong time. I, I guess... You know, when we've been to Goodison Park and had trouble over the years, it's been much more when they were up and at us and direct football and big dunk and all of that, hasn't it? I mean, at least that feels that way. But it's going to be a very tough game for United now. And the actual running, we felt like this sort of past few games was the really tough bit. Liverpool, Tottenham, City, Chelsea. And it was. But Everton away, Crystal Palace away, Arsenal at home, you got some team's all in decent form there that's not looking so easy now is it and suddenly you're going mm, top four mm. <laughs> i'm not doing that just to be clear <laughs> maybe it should be but I'm well not. you know i mean that third fourth place thing is important and we could look back on it and regret it if united don't secure third so or you know second or third uh so so this game is important and it's looking like a tough game but that said i don't think anyone in the united squad will come out of the game at chelsea having dominated there and go Oh, our confidence is shattered. You know, Van Gaal had talked about confidence being shattered earlier in the season. I don't think that's the case now. So I think United will go to Everton feeling confident, will boss position because they play the same way, but they're just a better team and, and hopefully get a very positive result. 
Yeah, that's pretty much exactly how I see it going. I have to say, I'm very optimistic about this one. Uh, You mentioned Palace. Of course, they've just lost 2-0 at home to West Brom this weekend, haven't they? So maybe the the Pardew wheels are finally coming off. Be a little early to say that. And of course, the the opposition manager certainly would have known that squad pretty well. But yeah, Everton, I I mean, Roberto Martinez, lots of United fans taking a good deal of joy in Everton's collapse because of Everton's fans being so snotty about United getting moist. I have to say, I've always slightly sided with Everton fans on that particular front. When they were singing, stuck with Moyes, stuck with Moyes, Man United, I sort of, uh, pretty much how I was feeling about the situation at the time. So uh, I'm, I'm pretty glad that Martinez has got them playing some sort of football again because kind of like it when managers who attempt to play the game in, in, a, in an aesthetically pleasing way end up having some success rather than it all falling apart for them. Yes, the criticism with Martinez is he's so one-eyed about that system uh, that he isn't able to develop any kind of plan A and a bit, let alone a plan B. And 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 that you know, as soon as teams work out uh, how his his side is playing, then then they're in trouble, and that's why Martinez is very lumpy over his his career. We'll, we'll see. I mean, it's finally coming good for Everton, and it's going to be a tough game for United. But you know, I I suppose we ought to do predictions. But you know, I think United are going to go there and win because we really do have to. Mm, absolutely. I, I think, obviously, players coming back from injury is crucial. I can't see... I'm sure Blinton Jones will be back, given that they were possibly going to be fit for this game, even. The fact that he didn't mention any possibility of Carrick being fit for this game makes me think, probably... Because there was before the before the Chelsea game, there were quite a few people going, "Oh, maybe it's mind games." You know, uh, maybe he's, he's trying to slightly mess with Mourinho. And... and Somebody, uh, Dan Dawkins on Twitter made a really good point that given that Mourinho is such a reactive coach, it'd be quite a good time to pull out your first mind games of the season. But Louis van Gaal has just played the entire season with a completely straight bat in terms of injuries. There's been It's been really easy to predict lineups all season because he's basically told you who's going to play and who's not going to play uh, at, at that Friday press conference every week. Be- just totally honest about who's fit and who's not so I can't imagine Carrick's going to be back no no and, and a calf problem which is what he's got can take a little while so um he'll be touch and go even if he was uh you know fitter than than Van Hull made out I wonder whether Van Persie will be back because uh, I I wonder whether if it, I guess it depends on whether Blint's back because if if he is then Rooney can go back up front um but you wonder whether if not it'll be Van Persie up front and that will not be great in a slightly different way to Falcao not being great. Imagine Van Persie won't spend quite so much time dropping deep as Falcao did. But a rusty Van Persie is not what we need leading this line, is it? No, I, I think you'd do anything to get Rooney back up front, to be honest. I mean, Falcao's performance is horrendous. And, and you're right, Van Persie won't run the channels in the same way. Or not that Falcao actually ran the channels. He just dropped deep in search of the ball, you know, had sort of two touches in the penalty area the whole game. Van Persie just has been really static for most of the season, though, and that's uh, you know, save for just a couple of games that we we highlighted here, uh, it's been a very very poor season from him. But probably a better choice if Blint isn't back and Rooney has to play in midfield. I, I would do anything to get Rooney up front, though. Um, given what happened at Chelsea, you want the cutting edge, and I think it would just be mad not to push Di Maria into the side and 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 just go uh, in an attacking sense to Everton because we are going to have lots of the ball. But hey, that's me. You know, Van Hulse sees it differently. So, you know, possibly you're right. Van Persie will come back into the side. 
No, I, I, I think if I was going to predict what I just said or what you just said, I think I'd go with Di Maria coming back. And I'd like to see that. I would like to see Di Maria reincorporated in the team. The rumours going around that he's been kind of impressive in training. And I have to say, I'm I'm not surprised by that, given, given what we've seen when he has come onto the pitch. He has looked really lively again and up for it and trying to make an impact. So, so yeah, I, I, I'd like to see Van Persie in, in the side. But as you say, and, <laughs> you know... <laughs> to talk about Rooney again it would be really good if Rooney was playing up front for all his many faults he's our best option there at the moment by a mile I agree yep so what do you reckon the score's going to be I think United's going to win 2-0 okay I, I, I think that's uh, reasonable I think I think we've looked a tiny tiny bit shaky at the back again recently there's been uh, there's been a few goals conceded um one in the last game, two in the game before that, one in the game before that. So I'm not going to predict a clean sheet. I reckon 3-1 because we're going to play a better attacking lineup and it's going to work better. 3-1. Right. Stupidly positive from us there. So clearly United are going to lose 1-0 and Big Dunk is going to score the 90th minute header. <laughs> oh, classic old Big Dunk. That's you being old again, Ed. Yeah. Old football references. Yeah, yeah there's half our audience going, who? What? What? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think he's hating on Rooney, but I'm not quite sure why. Um, all right so uh thank you very much for listening to the show um if you like it we'd really appreciate if you would um rate us on itunes that'd be awesome and uh feel free to subscribe to the show using whatever podcast software you use uh, then whenever the show turns up because we're not be able to guarantee what day it will come out so if you subscribe to it you can just listen to it when it arrives and with that we will see you next week very good well enjoy your week folks uh, don't be too sad about losing to chelsea we were the moral victors in that one <laughs> I, th- I think we'll be feeling a lot better next week um after victory over everton absolutely see you next week <laughs>